third episode of Estradial Illusions, and our very first guest, we have uh, Spencer Scott Holmes here to talk to us about Sega. We're going to talk about the decline of the great video game console company, which still makes games, but unfortunately, after the Dreamcast, the dream was uh, dead. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Spencer, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work? Yo, what's going on? I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. I create a comic book series called Pizza Boys. That's Pizza Boys with a Z. It's kind of like a sitcom-styled comic book filled with all kinds of fun adventures of, you know, playing video games, making podcasts, hanging out with your friends, watching movies, and each one's just a little standalone kind of episode. You can jump in wherever and just uh, have a good old time kind of remembering the past and going into the future. Beyond that, I do the Old Man Orange podcast where we generally talk a lot of like comic books, video games, movies, and have laughs along the way. Sometimes have guests, sometimes some other stuff. Another podcast I do is the Indie Comics Club, where we just talk and review pretty much anything in the indie comic book community, kind of associated there with Comic Central and so on. So all, all kinds of fun stuff to be had. I don't want to go on a list of too many things. Of I do this, I do that, and I do this, and look how cool that is. And I feel like I'm kind of like trying to explain to like, – I'm like a kid explaining to his father like all the things – like trying to explain like his favorite TV show. It's like, they got the guy with the big sword and he swings it around and then it goes in and there's another guy and he has a cane. It's like, oh, you can back up there. I, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, they always they always say to, I always have that problem too, being, uh, you know, doing books and all sorts of stuff. And they always say, you know, keep your resume to a page and then you think to yourself, gee, I, maybe I don't want to keep it to a page, but the rest of the world wants you to generally. <laughs> When it comes to a resume, I always like to keep my original job on there because one, it's it's that one that will make me stand out like more than probably anybody else because I was a gold pan instructor at fourteen. Wow, yeah, that that is a good one to keep there. It's just the one because people stop and go gold pan instructor. Huh, what was that all about? I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? We was just at uh, Columbia, California. They had a gold pan instructor job and. Which really, I kind of think about in hindsight. It's like, you imagine like somebody getting there who's like forty-five years old, and is like, "This fourteen-year-old punk's going to try to tell me how to gold pan? Who does he think he is?" <laughs> Got long hair. Look at him. <laughs> uh, that must have been a fun job. Uh, so I'm really excited to have Spencer here to talk to us about Sega because he's somebody who's really helped shape my mind on the Sega Saturn in particular. I grew up, my first two systems of like the 20 or so that I owned were the PlayStation 1 and then the N64. So when it came to the Saturn, I, which I got a, uh, a couple years later in life, I saw that and I said to myself, gee, no Super Mario 64, no Spyro, no Crash, no good. And that really was that's really not a great way to look at a system that has a very diverse and complex library filled with games that I'm still discovering in the year 2019. <laughs> well, it's like when I think about it the way I started off, I started off with a Genesis. That's what I had. And I kind of had a little bit late. Like I got it in 1994. It was one of those ones where I just played video games at other people's houses in the previous years. Yeah. Some people had Nintendos, some people had Super Nintendos, others had Atari 2600s and Commodore 64s, and that was just how I played. I think my parents even thought that out. They're like, you know, we could just drop him off and he'll play video games at somebody else's house, and we don't have to buy him, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the days when uh, you think about, gee, what video game am I going to get next? And you had to consider, which of my friends have this one, and I'm going to go <laughs> play that there, and maybe I don't need this game. But it was always... And, and then, of course, you had the, the Mario Karts and the Super Smash Brothers where you had to have them because if you didn't, then you'd be crap when you play other people. Yep, and, exactly. Uh, you, or, yeah. uh, 
Mortal Kombat. Yeah, you, you had, there were certain ones you had to have. Well, like they kind of worked out, and yeah, other ones you could kind of trade and so on. Even like just for me, it's like I remember like a lot of people I knew all kind of had slightly different systems. You know, it ironically, most of my friends had Genesis at the time period, the Genesis and the Super Nintendo day. But I remember everybody could wanted a Super Nintendo though. That was always kind of how it was. You had a Genesis, but you wanted a Super Nintendo. I know. And, you know, it's like, well, it's not, not that I like I, I love this Genesis. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's just that thing. It's like whatever one you don't have, you kind of want the other. one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was actually kind of how. So to, to start off with the sort of the thesis of our podcast from the Genesis all the way on to the Dreamcast, Sega was a major player in the console wars. Not so much pre Genesis. The Sega Master System is something that video game collectors are big fans of but in terms of competing with nintendo the nes the original nes at the time didn't make much of a dent in the market and then genesis hits the scene and outsells the super nintendo slightly in north america though not overall and sega all of a sudden's a major player two generations later they're gone a lot of people blame the failure of the dreamcast which is kind of in the video game community, put up on this sort of pedestal of a very romantic, you know, unrequited love for the the little engine that could, and its failure is is really the sort of great romantic uh, video game console story, probably of all time. Um, its failure is something that really still upsets a lot of video game fans to this day, and a lot of people. The 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 real driver behind the downfall of sega is something that people have a lot of different theories on one of which is the notion that genesis is two sort of ill-fated add-ons plus the underwhelming market performance of the sega saturn set up the dreamcast as being doomed right from the start and today's episode we're gonna look at the sega cd the 32x also sometimes known as the 32x and the sega saturn and determine what the hell happened well, it is kind of interesting. I've just even said this before, just just to touch on the master, since you kind of mentioned it. Oh yes, is you, when you when you look at a master though, compared to like a regular Nintendo, it's amazing how different the graphics are. That master looks so so much more brighter, so many more colors, so much more kind of going on. Granted, it does once again, it's that classic thing. It doesn't have as many of the great games that like Nintendo had, and that's always what Nintendo, even to this day and age, I feel compare you compare a Nintendo Switch to like a PS4 and an Xbox One, and that's just one of those ones at the end of the day. I don't know. Nintendo still always has those strong games. It might not look the best, but you know, those games always outweigh it. But um I will say though, there is the one game that I always feel stands out like a lot, even though I like a lot of master games sort of in kind of funness, but is that original Fantasy Star. Oh, when you yeah. look at that. It looks so good. And when I, I just always kind of compare it to the time. It's like you, you compare that to like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and so on, or Dragon Warrior at that time period. Because back in the day, I feel like in America, it was like, it got to be a warrior. Yeah. I know they, they say it's because it was a licensing thing, but I'm just like, no, no, no. They're like, people in America don't want to go on a quest. They want to be a warrior, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my first experience with Dragon, uh, with Dragon Warriors was the Dragon Warriors Monsters game, which is kind of a riff off Pokemon, but if you played Pokemon to death and were really looking for something similar, that was just so awesome as a game. The the battles that you needed to do 20 different times to beat the boss battles. And it really, it got me hooked on that franchise, which has not made as much headway in America as it has in Japan. But I think a lot of the way that Sega established itself with those great graphics was they 
were sort of first and foremost always ahead of Nintendo and arcade manufacturer. Nintendo, we always remember the original Donkey Kong where Mario has to climb up on all the ladders, but Sega was just so involved in arcade production right up right up until the end with the Dreamcast. They so many of their systems had all these really great arcade ports that if you were little going to arcades and you you know your parents told you that you couldn't spend any more quarters and you went home thinking gee I wish I could play Street Fighter again you get back and you have that graphics and you know maybe it's not exactly the right you know maybe it doesn't look 100% the same but being able to play that right in your living room without any quarters at all was was something mm-hmm. that was just really really cool to me at the time well really at the end of the day though it's like that's kind of like what dreamcast is kind of compared to nintendo is i feel nintendo has always been the adventure game system you know whether it be rpgs or like progressive like longer games and sega always has had just the sweet arcade style you know because so many games on the genesis they're all like those kind of games you can pretty much like most of them you can all beat in around an hour give or take sometimes less sometimes a little bit more yeah but there's so many of those. But that was almost like how you played a Genesis. Like when you went over to a friend's house back in the day, you went through like a lot of games in one night. You didn't just play like one or two. No, no, no. You went like, we're going to play some Golden Axe. We're going to go through Street Fighter. We're going to play some Streets of Rage. We're going to play some Kid Chameleon. And you just went down the list of all these games where like you, if you went to a friend's house and played Super Nintendo, a lot of times you might just play like, you're going to play Donkey Kong Country and that'll be the whole thing you play the entire weekend. Yeah, it, it really... It was, and I've always been somebody who, when I have friends over, even to this day, I like to really cycle through games because you get the sort of the wow factor immediately at first. And, you know, hour and a half into Donkey Kong, it's, I mean, the graphics on that game really are some of the best on the Super Nintendo, but, you know, it's not like you're, you know, I've I've seen people do quick speed throughs of uh, even something like the Lion King, and you're still sitting there being like, "Wow, those graphics are great." Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no, those always do hold up really well, even if the game is just super difficult. Ugh, every yeah, <laughs> every Nintendo game that came out for Genesis, I mean, every Disney game that came out for Genesis is hard as shit. The Mickey Sorcerer one, uh, I still to this day yep. struggle with that one. Toy Story is brutal. Aladdin, Aladdin is pretty hard. I think that's probably not as hard as. That's one of the easier ones, and that's always kind of... I always love the debate of the Aladdin. Like, which Aladdin is the kind of the better Aladdin? The Super Nintendo one or the Sega Genesis one? You know, and that's almost like something that... That's something I miss so much in video games, is the time when, like, you could have two different systems and have a game that would come out for both of them, and they'd be completely different from each other. That, to me, is always so cool. Well, that was something that really set the Genesis aside from the Super Nintendo, especially with... Pretty much it, one of its most famous games of them all, which was Mortal Kombat, where mm. Super Nintendo was... I I have the Super Nintendo version. I think it's a lot of fun, but then you play the Genesis version, it's got all this blood, which in the year 2019, you see it, and maybe, maybe we're a little desensitized to, you know, gore in video games, but putting it into context, it was like, wow, this is actually a game changer. The fact that Sega says... Yeah, make this game as edgy and cool as you want. And that was really something that they branded very well. The Sega does what Nintendo don't is probably Yeah. It's one of the more simple slogans of all time, but it was just very effective. If you and especially in the in the context of its target demographic, like kids playing on a playground talking about which one is is cooler. Sega Sega got the inside track. They they didn't have a you know, Italian plumber as their mascot. They had a, you know, edgy hedge, hedgehog with pretty cool red sneakers. 
Exactly, because they cap really Sega captured the '90s kid aesthetic, you know. Because I feel like you know the '90s kid is like you know backwards hat, you know, he's got a skateboard in one hand, you know, listening to like Soundgarden, like doesn't care about the authority and so on, fight the power. Like the spirit of like '90s is like so rolled in, especially that Sega Genesis. It even goes into like Sega Saturn. I know they kind of say it sort of shifts gears there, but just. That was kind of it. It was just that edgy kid, like, whatever, impress me, you know? I always think of, I don't know if you've ever read the Death of Superman comic book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's like, a kid in there that, like, nobody ever brings this up when they talk about that book, but this is the thing that stood out to me, like, so much more than the whole battle between, like, uh, Superman and Doomsday, is there's just this kid in there who's, like, the ultimate, like, 90s kid. You know, it looks like he just came out, like, an Axl Rose kind of Guns N' Roses concert and so on, and he just doesn't care. Like, he's not impressed. Superman shows up at school. It's like, whatever. I don't care. Superman, he's not cool. Guy Gardner's way better. Yeah, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to think about video games in the 90s and not immediately gravitate to the Genesis as that system that just captured the zeitgeist of it. And it was a system that have, I mean, they put out like close to a thousand games. That was really the, the thing that hurt the master system a lot was that Nintendo had all these exclusive contracts with everybody. So if Sega wanted to make great games, Sega had to make great games themselves. Yeah. They could really only rely off the pretty much Sega Sega when it came down to the master system. And that's kind of the end of the day. That's what master sort of made up of, you know, you got fantasy star and then you got pretty much all your kind of arcade ones. Like, you know, you have like space harrier and you know, I think there's an afterburner for it and so on. I think in like the long run, the upside to it is they could take all those master games and sort of port them into like the game gear since the game gear was like identical, which is sort of a neat idea. That's like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I mean, I guess that's sort of similar. I felt like game boy color was kind of like the portable rig of a Nintendo, but that was, you know, much later on. Yeah. Like my first, my first interaction with Aladdin in particular, the game was not for Game Boy Color, but the original, the big fat Game Boy. Oh, I had a green one at first, and then I had somebody gave me also the the regular white one with the purple buttons. But I mean, that was, you know, in terms of like long long car rides, that was a game changer, and it, it, it's fascinating to see the way that handheld games have kind of gone full circle because for a while the consoles were outpacing what the handhelds could do, and even even something like the PlayStation Portable wasn't really breaking that through in the market. Now we have the Switch, which they say, hey, portable or not, same thing. It- yeah, it goes back and forth and it just kind of works out, you know. And um, I just heard also, though, back in the day, though, like a Game Gear was like the thing. If, you, if you're going to get a handheld system, it's like you wanted a Game Gear. It was just like, look at that thing. It's huge. It's, in, you know, it's backlit. It's in color and everything like that. Six batteries and then last half, <laughs> yeah, they half last an hour. Barely six hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't think mine still works anymore, but I used to play that a lot. Uh, Chuck Rock and the Sonic games and Sonic Spinball, I love on that. I have it on Genesis, and but whenever I put it in, I always think of my Game Gear. My grand yeah, is it- my grandmother's cousin's son didn't want his Game Gear anymore, so somehow that through that weird family connection made its way into my hands. Where it's it's a fun system. I wish I wish more. I wish the uh, handheld market had gotten more competition than it was kind of Nintendo's game for a long time. And now, now they're making that, you know, their entire game is both now, which is definitely an interesting development with the switch. Yeah. It's like, nobody could really get close to a foothold on. Cause you had like the Neo Geo pocket that was really awesome too, but the, the Neo Geo pocket was something special. And that's, that's one of those ones that kind of got forgotten. But at the time period that had some really sweet games looked great. 
you know. And then finally, PlayStations. PlayStation was the one that got close, but still, even even the PSP and PSP Vita, though those two systems are totally awesome, they kind of just still sat on that back burner and just just didn't capture it as much as you know, you know, they want to. And lo and behold, it's still Nintendo, though. Ironically, I always say the PSP Vita still holds out as a nice like companion system to your PS4. Yeah, um, I don't really know anybody who has uh, played the PS Vita, but I see ads for it, and I always think to myself, gee, that looks cool. If I played uh, handheld games more, I would definitely want one of those. I'll say that I know it's a Sega podcast, but just the PSP Vita. What makes it kind of cool, though, is once you have your PS4 and all the games for it, slash PS3 and everything like that, there's so many games that are just automatically, like, when you load up your PSP Vita, you're like, oh, I can download all these games, like, a lot of the, um, the indie games and so on. Wow. You know, because that was one of the cool things about PlayStation that I kind of wish Nintendo would do, is where if I buy a game on PS4, can it also be, like, you know, with the PS3 version and, like, the PSP Vita? You know, I wish Nintendo would do the same thing when it's like, if I buy Super Mario Bros. 3 on, like, Switch, or even like on Wii U back in the oh, day, yeah. it's like, why can't that be on 3DS as well too? You know, why not? Or why can't why can't Switch let you download if you bought you know one of the 30 good Wii U games that's been ported to the Switch with that they charge sixty dollars and they add like two more levels? Why can't they just release for the <laughs> Wii U people those that add on content? Like, I'm not gonna buy Toad's Treasure Tracker again. I have that for Wii U. The Switch version looks adorable, but I'm not buying that. But, uh, well, that's what I felt too. Is like, because I was one of those people that had a Wii U and I bought all the games and so on. So the first like year, I remember the first about year I had a Switch, I only bought two games. I bought Zelda and I bought Mario. And I was like, boy, I'm never going to play my Switch very often. And by about the last six months or so, I finally like, oh, okay, now it's starting to catch up because it had tons of great games. But if you already had a Wii U, it's just like, oh, well, I already have Hyrule Warriors and I already have Mario Kart and I already have, you know, this and that and so on. So yeah, that was. I, I, I think they're finally starting to flesh out the library, but back to uh back to the nineties, just like the Back to the nineties and Sega. Yeah, the Bojack uh the Bojack and end credit theme song. Back to the <laughs> uh, <laughs> So the Genesis really it it for for a lot of us who saw the nineties as our first entry into games, the Genesis really set the tone. It was cool. It had all these different games and it, it it was just it was it was always fascinating to go over to a friend's house and see what Genesis games they had because the library was so huge that you you know you were bound to have maybe two or three of somebody else's and then you know you'd leave their house wanting to go immediately to the store and pick up all the ones that uh that you didn't have. But the Genesis, as a way to extend its life cycle, released two separate add-ons, the Sega CD and the Sega 32X, which I personally love. I have a lot of affection for both of them, particularly the 32X, but it's it's easy to see how, in hindsight, the idea of putting a Walkman on a cafeteria tray that you know connects to your Genesis was probably not the greatest technology in the world well it's weird though because like when i think when i was a kid and like when i saw a sega cd for like the first time in like 1992 or 93 or whatever it was it blew my mind when i saw the sega cd it was like oh my gosh these graphics are literally lifelike that was what i thought i felt like i was in the movie playing sega cd and that's always an experience that i feel like 
that can never really be taken away to me. Like whenever I think about Sega CD, I just think about like, that was that experience of like, Oh my gosh, we are here. You know I mean? It was like two steps away from virtual reality. I know in hindsight, you look at it and you go, Oh man, these just these really compressed, you know, videos on CDs, you know, and so on. Then it doesn't have that same hold up value graphic wise. But at that time period, as a kid, it was just like, this is amazing. And I think that's why the Sega CD always kind of like stands out so highly regarded in my eyes. So the technology that Spencer's referring to is called uh, full motion video or FMV for short. And it it really was sort of a groundbreaking technology in the pre-DVD era. I mean, VHS even at that point, 1993, wasn't even that old. Sega CD came out really at the end of 91, but a year later in North America. And... The idea of just of, of seeing real life images on TV. And a lot of these games had actual professional casts. They would cast actors to act uh, in the in the cutscenes of the movie. I mean the the movies in their games, but it was really groundbreaking technology that and I at the same time I don't think there's a single genre of games that's aged worse than <laughs> looking at an <laughs> FM, FMV game in twenty nineteen. You're looking at it being like Somebody somebody paid sixty dollars for this back back in nineteen ninety two. Especially when you think of certain ones like the Power Rangers game, it's like it's literally just one episode that they put on a disc yeah. and then had you press up, down, left, right, A, B, C, you know, to make the to make the episode continue on. That's all it is. It's like playing a uh, Bop It on your TV. It's like the you're you're doing like a synchronized button pushing, and that's the game, and that's you know you could play. Genesis cartridge, you know, for Power Rangers has a really great beat, side-scrolling beat 'em up, both the original and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie version. They're really fun. And then and there's a fighting game one too. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had all the, you know all this really great interactive that throw you into the game and make you feel like you're a Power Ranger. And I was a Power Ranger fanatic, so when I, when I first saw that, when I, I played the Power Rangers Genesis game at a friend's house once, and I was. I just had to, I think I got it five years later and I was, I played it for so many hours the first time, uh, first time I got it. But then you look at the Sega CD version, which is just an episode. You're not a ranger. You're watching the real rangers, not the animated rangers. But the only way you can help them is by pressing A at the right time that it's queued on the screen. And that's, that's kind of FMV in a nutshell. You know, that's the weirdest thing, though, is I kid you not, that Power Rangers game, though, as a kid back in the day, was awesome on Sega CD. I, I know that, like, it, that's definitely one of those games that, like, doesn't really hold up or anything like that. And I think that anybody who was kind of, like, older than that Power Rangers age at that time period, I could see how that was. But at the same time, it was something you never saw before. It was totally brand new and fresh. And even though if it might have just been that spark of technology that's just about to go away... Which, ironically, I think the, this is the weirdest thing I thought. is Because people talk for like 20 years of how much they hated FMV. And then all of a sudden, it's like, in the last handful of years, there's all kinds of FMV games that have reappeared on like PS4 and Switch and Xbox and all that kind of stuff. And even Telltale, that company yeah, yeah. literally just aped FMV stuff. And that was their whole thing, is they just made pretty much FMV games. They're not technically FMV, but it's the same style you press buttons and you continue the story it's so funny how that kind of came back and nobody ever said anything i know so i was like wait what you guys hated this forever and then now these games come out and they get good ratings what <laughs> yeah it's funny you mentioned that because the past couple of days i've been thinking that both the panasonic 3do and the sega cd really tried to build entire libraries out of 
Telltale Games, which is, uh, you know, point. I, I grew up playing the Putt-Putt and the Freddy Fish, the Humongous Entertainment Games, which are all point and click. And I, I loved them because they were, you know, for a five for a, even like a four or five year old, you know, they, they require a, a bit of thinking. But I mean, it's pretty impossible to not not get through to the end. And FMV was 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 pretty much that. And it's something that. It's important to contextualize what it would have, what 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 it was, what it what you've been describing, what it was like in the '90s, because all the all the all the every every controversy surrounding violence in video games really came to heed when Night Trap was released on the Sega CD and the 3DO, and that terrified Congress people. It was the scariest FMV. It's it's. One of my favorite games to play on Sega CD now because it's it's so ridiculous and it's hilarious to think that, you know, video, if if enough Congress people had gotten together and said this is too dangerous for our kids, that game could have ended video games as we know it. You press a button to go into a room and then it cuts and there's people screaming and there's a burglar coming in and killing a sleep, you know ravaging his sleepover and it's it's impossible not to play it and crack up the whole time but that was you know that almost took an entire industry down and it's so weird too because it's really like i mean even for the time period if it would have been a movie it would have been like a pg maybe (laughs) hard maybe a hard pg not even like pg 13 was is still kind of like pushing it on that game it's just so funny how that game just really and i think what it was is that it was literally somebody it was like it's kind of like that old fashioned game like phone or what do they call it phone call or whatever where you tell somebody a, in a circle like a story yeah, yeah telephone you tell someone in a circle and by the end it's like a completely different thing because I think that's what happened so you know somebody just took what was in that game and just kind of like blew it out of proportion and then just kept telling somebody and the next thing you know they're talking about a game that's like oh you go and you murder women in the middle of the night it's like oh you're actually there protecting them <laughs> just in case you know it's sort of like the same thing of like doom and all that stuff too they're like oh you're going right you're just murdering people left and right well like well you are killing evil demons from hell i mean it, you know unless unless you like evil demons from hell coming out and you know just letting them live life <laughs> yeah it, it it really it's it's fascinating to think how the genre of FMV point and click was just seen, you, you know, by comparison to, to, you know, the, the, the other big video game national controversy that sticks out would be the Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, the hidden, the hidden, oh, yeah. the hidden sex thing that, uh, really the hot I, coffee, hot coffee. That's what it's called. Yeah. I mean that, that, you, you know, the idea of, of including graphic sex in a video game that's grossing hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you know, that is kind of in poor taste, regardless of how you feel about censorship. But it's funny to think that we got, went from Night Trap to, you know, something like that. And, you know, I, I wish I wish people in the 90s could, you know, go up to Joe Lieberman or the other senators that were really pushing that and say, you know, you think Night Trap's bad, wait for hot coffee. <laughs> yeah, but by that point they're just like they got too old and they're like, oh, I wonder I'm sitting this one out now. Yeah, you get you get <laughs> the fuck. Oh, I was gonna say because it was really just all the guys that pretty much they tried to like from a period of like eighty, I guess the early eighties to about the mid nineties. There was just these like handful of senators that just wanted to fight everything. They wanted to fight heavy metal. They wanted to fight rap. They wanted to fight video games. And after a while, they they, they end up losing like all their wars that they just kind of <laughs> gave up after. Yeah, you had like John Denver and Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder coming in to testify against the 
you know, and the result, their, their, their big, their big, uh, their big achievement is like, you know, parental advisory, explicit content. You know, I, I remember as a kid when, when you got to the age where your parents would buy you an M rated game or, a you know, CD that had that warning on it, it was like, oh, I'm cool now. And that was, you know, they're, they're big, they fought all these, they fought all these wars to, to try and stop the game. And instead all they achieved was this sort of, they created a status symbol for young children. Well, it just made them sell better too, because the thing is, you're like, oh, this one's mature rated. Well, I better get this game instead of this teen rated one now, because it's going to be that much cooler. Yeah. Do they make, um, do they make the AO rate, the adult rating anymore? I think they probably did away with that one. I don't think they've ever really used that one. Cause I've looked at that my entire life as a kid. And it's like, where the heck's the AO games? I mean, just saying, not, don't say that I necessarily need one. I just saying you have this rating. Where's the game for it? And I think it falls under the same category as like NC 17, that people are always so afraid to kind of make something in it because at least in the olden days, you pretty much were like guaranteed not to be shown anywhere. And I think the same right. thing with video games. It's like, if you have an AO game, and it doesn't always have to be like sex and stuff like that. It could be like extraordinarily like violent or something, and it could get that same rating too. But you were just that it was, you're afraid that you're like, oh, it's not going to get sold at major stores, which I guess nowadays they technically do have AO games because, you know, you flip through Steam and, uh, you know, there is a lot of those games on there. You're like, hmm, I think I think I know what this is going to. Or same like <laughs> with uh, New Newgrounds filled itself with a lot of AO games as well, too. Yeah, it it. I remember when Hot Coffee came out, they temporarily any because I, I I think the San Andreas hack could only be done by computer or if you yeah. had, if you had a modded PS2. So I think briefly that was an AO, but it was definitely not something that that you know has has ever been seen in any any form of prominence, especially in retailers. But um, it's it's just funny how you think about the Sega CD, this system that. Only sold, uh, I mean, I think it sold about two million, uh, two and two and a quarter million units, which, I mean, this, the, the switch is blown, blew past that basically in its first two months, but the system that nobody had was causing all this controversy and it, it really, it didn't even, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I was, I was probably a bit older. I, I didn't know anybody with a Sega CD growing up. It was a couple of years until... I saw uh, friends who had either that or the 32X, but it's just it's it's fascinating in hindsight to see so much national conversation over something that I just doubt I doubt many people even ended up playing. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I think it kind of got like it was like a hidden gem game after that point because a lot of the target audience you know it kind of lost it there too. And I mean, for me, like the reason I played Sega CD is because I had one of those rich kid friends. And um, and he had the ultimate Sega CD. He didn't just have the Sega Genesis Sega CD. No, no, no. He had the Pioneer Laser Active Sega CD with the laser player and the Sega LD games as well, too, which were if you thought Sega CD was mind blowing. Wait till you play those laser disc games. There's only a handful of them released, but they were something else, especially wow. at 1993, which um, now I gladly own that laser active. I'm actually happy to say. Have Is you ever seen a laser active before? No, is that the one that's uh, under the Genesis versus the sidecar? No, what the laser active is, it's made by Pioneer, and it's this massive unit. It's the, well, it's, it's the size of a very large laser disc player, and it's an all-in-one feature. So it's got a cartridge slot on the front, and it's got a, a laser disc port. And I almost want to say 
maybe the Sega CD games played in the Laserdisc, but I, almost, I think they played actually separately. I think the Sega CD part was its own drive. Then you had the Laserdisc drive, and then it was like an all-in-one. So you could watch movies, you could play video games, you could plug it into the TV with like S-Video, which is a, kind of like a big thing at that time period. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like the best-looking Sega Genesis you could possibly have. It looks super crystal clear and clean and nice. But uh, the thing I think costs, like when it initially came out, was $1,600. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that's that one where people kind of, you know, when you hear about people complain about like, oh, a system's $400 nowadays, I just want to slap those people and be like, no, no, listen up. You could have been paying a lot more back in the day. And at that time period, that would have been like $3,000 today. So yeah. $400 is a steal, damn it. <laughs> well, that was the one thing that really defined the Genesis's success against the Super Nintendo was it, it had this very low price point and it also came with Sonic packaged in. So, you know, yeah, the, you could get both of those for under $100. I mean, uh, under $200. And you know what's the funny thing? Is that something like when you look at the history of video games, doesn't matter what system it is, the system that's always the cheapest always does the best. You know, I mean, unless it's like something like a real like knockoff cheap system. But as far as like the main yeah. contenders, you know, in the Genesis and Super Nintendo War, just that little bit of a price difference made a big difference and then you kind of go farther into the future playstation and saturn that hundred dollars made the biggest difference people just went right over to the playstation just because of that you go even farther you go to ps3 versus 360 that once again that price difference made the 360 the number one system of that generation it's funny how that always is but the price difference really is the thing that makes the biggest difference you know you can imagine because most systems don't turn a profit for their company. They they make their money back on games. They sell the hardware at a loss. And you can imagine, you know, being in that boardroom. They're saying, "No, we got to charge this hundred bucks less than our competitor." And you know, the people are screaming, "No, no, you can't do that!" And then they win the they win the whole era. Yep, it, it always works out. Because the thing is, is nobody generally like the best systems. Most people can't won't get, you know, what I mean, it's it's the, it's the classic Neo Geo problem that Neo Geo, they made a system that was like you literally got the full on arcade experience at home. But that came at a huge price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The games, the games themselves basically cost what it would uh, the price of a Genesis, sometimes mm-hmm. even more. I mean, some of those were retailing for over two hundred dollars at the time for a single 2d action fighting game a great one with great graphics but you know your 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 parents basically needed to be on on the board of the company in order to afford it yeah well those always kind of remind me like those systems that like you know almost i feel like if things like that if you like if if we were kind of back in the olden days at that time period that to me reminds me it's like that's a system that obviously like a kid's never really going to get unless they just have a really rich parents or something like that it reminds me like the kind of one that somebody like almost like in their mid-20s the 30s or so who has like kind of maybe they're like single and has a somewhat decent job like that reminds me of the system that they get like the kind of people that just like you know what i really like that uh king of fighters game you know what i'm gonna get myself in neo geo why not yeah or, <laughs> I, uh, whatever i can throw some money out i'll make it i'll make it up in the next two days <laughs> like yeah, that's the kind there. of person it reminds me of that like would get those kind of systems yeah they're sitting there doing the math on how many quarters they'd spend at the arcade playing it oh, i'll just buy the whole thing that's only yeah I'll, I'll just own it you know what i mean because that's that's more. who that kind of remind me like it was kind of geared to her. it was somebody who was had a little bit of expendable cash and just kind of wanted to bring literally the arcade home yeah so if you were if you were deciding between the sega cd i mean uh, the genesis and the super nintendo and you said oh 
the Genesis cost us, I'll get that. And then you decided to buy a Sega CD for another $300. Then you're, you're seeing the, the, the price range go up. And then if you later on decide that you, that you need, that you need the 32 X also, then you've basically sent the price range to that of a, of a 3DO or something, but, and, and you've got a system that looks like it's a transformer or a power ranger just put together. Uh, very cool, but they need three separate, uh, very bulky. <laughs> I, have, I, I yeah, the the power they 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 all need their own separate power cord, and that you can't use the small adapters. You have to use big bulky ones. My yeah. my main TV has all three of them go to go to separate separate power strips. It's a total mess. Probably a fire hazard, but. <laughs> that's why i always remember being a kid is like when i had all my video games just hooked up like that especially with like the 32x sega cd genesis one it just it had power i had power strip plugged in the power strip just so they could all like operate and in my mind i was like well here's the thing i i know you're not supposed to have a power strip plugged to a power strip but like it's this the sega just takes up an entire power strip so it's only really using like maybe three ports but now it's taken up six ports and so on but um yeah that that's always the thing i always thought was kind of weird it's like you couldn't have condensed that somehow some way like you got that base plate underneath if you got like the model two one you know it's like why can't that just like everything just goes straight into there and then one big fat power pack comes out but um, I, obviously, obviously, there's a reason why they couldn't do it. So I mean, I'm not. I should be the one yeah. like, hey, you can't do that. What's wrong with you guys? You know what I mean? Like just like a '90s kid saying like, just do it, man. Like, who cares? Or even it's gonna cost or, more. Well, I'm not gonna pay that, but do it anyways. Yeah, or even like something like an adapter that that you could plug all all three of them into, and then that that connects into one power strip. It, it's just hard to believe that you're. Uh, that a PlayStation Four doesn't need one of those big bulky adapters, but you're if you want to play all all the aspects of the Sega Genesis, you need triple the power strips. Then you can put your your PlayStation Four one uh, power plug in in on uh, you can squeeze it in on one of those, but you're gonna need to invest in a lot of strips to play the play all the variations of the Genesis. Yeah, exactly. But, um, I want to say going back to the Sega CD though, I mean like once you go past the FMV games, cause I think that's just like, that's always a section itself and that's always the one that kind of comes there to me. What always stood out actually the most, and especially in hindsight, like when I look back at the Sega CD, it's really like, and this is almost what I felt like they should have probably focused on at the time period. But once again, when people are always clamoring for the future, you kind of get stuck in that part when sometimes like just working on perfecting what you already are at and just doing it better is the way to go but it's when they pretty much just do straight up 2d games on there that you can just kind of add all the extra bells and whistles like when you can do a 2d game that's got like the awesome cd style soundtrack and then you can add in just little cutscenes and some like kind of extra modes and so on that to me was what i always thought made the sega cd really cool like when you play yeah. something like that, like the Terminator game, and that's what I discovered so much later in life. Because I used to look at that Sega CD Terminator. I'm like, well, I got Terminator on Genesis. What's really going to be that you know that much of a difference? And then you play that Sega CD one, you're like, oh, dude, it's a completely different game. It's like all the levels. I mean, it goes across the Terminator storyline, but beyond that, all the levels are different. It plays amazing, looks awesome, and just has the awesome soundtrack. And to me, th- those are like what the sega cd almost should have been focused on and a lot of those games i call i call them the hidden hidden gem games because they existed just nobody really kind of went out of their way and saw it because it's like oh it's just another terminator game whatever not realizing that there was this masterpiece sitting here yeah the spider-man game that came out for sega cd was a lot like that it 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 took the original the genesis game and 
was really if if you if you were somebody who spent the three hundred dollars and got the Sega CD, you were getting your money's worth in the sense that you know of all the all the cartridge based Genesis games that people had, you know you could get the superior port version of it and then you know be the cool kid on the playground because you you had the definitive version. There were, I mean, they had a lot of really great ports. The the Echo the Dolphin on Sega CD, I love. Mm-hmm. It's probably my second. Fi- I I personally like the Dreamcast version a lot, although it, it's hard to argue that that's more iconic than the the Genesis or the CD version. But they, in terms of ports, and it's funny because when you look at the Sega CD's library now, you could sit there and think to yourself, "Oh, there's a lot of ports. This kind of sucks." I mean, look at the Switch catalog right now. That's the same thing. It's all well. That's almost. I'll use it. That's a good example of sort of like the difference between a Sega CD game to like a Super Nintendo slash Genesis game. Was that like okay? You take like Doom for like the Switch. Like yeah, that's cool that they put Doom on the Switch, but it's kind of like that's like the Sega Genesis version compared to like having it like on PC and or even PS4 or Xbox One, and almost getting the game on Sega CD, even if it seemed like a port. You were still getting like the more souped up version of it, you know, like I think I like Pugsy. It has even more levels on there when you get the Sega CD version, you know, or even games like um, like um, I'm drawing a blank right now on it. But uh, there's just certain ones like that that the Sega CD version was like, oh, this is cool. Or like the Batman ones. That, that was what I was trying to think of. Yeah. You get like Batman Returns or even Adventures of Batman and Robin. Well, they add in a whole like car chase levels where you get to drive the Batmobile and everything like that. And even though those levels are so ridiculously hard, especially like the older I get, I feel like they get even harder for some yeah. reason. That to me was like, it's like, I mean, yeah, granted, yeah, the Sega CD was expensive and even getting the Sega CD games are a little bit more pricier. But if, if that's the one you got, you did get the ultimate version of that singular game. Yeah, and if you, if you're just thinking about how, how much the replay value had to had to matter, because I mean, even just sort of playing through the whole game again. I mean, nowadays you have games like Skyrim or Fallout, where you know, hunt, or Red Dead Redemption, where you know, hundred hundred hours is the baseline, but you know, you get you get something like The Lion King or Aladdin. If you want to play a hundred hours of that, I mean, you got to just go through the game a lot. So those extra levels really did. You know, even though they're a little bit more expensive, they really did give you a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, I think so. You know, and that's really that's the part that I think that people don't bring up enough in the Sega CD is that like it did have some really legitimate like it, they weren't just ports. Let's just say that they weren't just souped up ports yep. of like soundtracks like a lot of people like to always claim they are. They actually had quite a bit more and it did make for the best version. And also, too, I, I take something like the hook game. Like, I love that one. Doesn't matter what it is. You got in Genesis, Sega CD, Super Nintendo. They're all fun. But here at the end of the day, that Sega CD one. That's like the definitive copy. It's pretty darn sweet on there. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I really like the Shining Force CD version also because I love uh, F- Final Fantasy III will always be that that era's uh, great RPG for me because it's just the, the depth of it. But I always, w- when you think of the Genesis, I, I, I don't generally, like something even like a save function, you don't, you don't see that often on those cards. <laughs> it's rare to have save on a Genesis really at the end of the day. Yeah, so it's like you know, how do you play a how do you play an RPG on the Genesis besides you know leave the system on for a decade, or <laughs> however long it takes to get through it? But just being able to look at those color schemes and Sega, you know, the their their use of color, their kind of their arcade understanding of how a video game just can stick out at you like a you know beautiful piece of art and. 
really really captivated. It's it's something that that the 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 three D era of the PlayStation, while impressive, it just the the color schemes didn't didn't compare. Well, and the, also the sad thing too is you bring up the RPGs is that it's funny that Sega was the company that pretty much brought the you know our traditional you know turn based RPG. They brought that kind of game to America because Fantasy Star and the Master came out before Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy in the U.S. And lo and behold, it's kind of like they sort of let that sort of slide to the back burner because you know there's there's RPGs for both Sega you know. Genesis and there's really good ones for Sega CD, but they're still not like nearly as like huge as like let's say like Final Fantasy was or Legend of Zelda was or games like Chrono Trigger and Mario RPG. They didn't have that same like lasting appeal. I mean, Fantasy Star doesn't matter which one it is one, two, three, four. That original series is amazing. You know, you got Shining Force and then of course Lunar one and two on Sega CD. Uh-huh. And all amazing games, but it's just that kind of thing. It's funny that like I almost wonder if like I think that like if Sega would have captured more of an RPG kind of like era, maybe on the Sega CD and really sold it hardcore like that, you know, cause that was almost the perfect way. It's like, then you could have the cutscenes in there. Cause that was the thing that blew me away in Lunar. It's like when you saw those anime cutscenes appear on there, it's like, Whoa, what's going on? Never saw that before, you know? And it's like, and they talk too. Cause that was always a thing. Like, you don't, you don't think about that, but when a game talked back in like the early nineties, it, it almost like scared you were put off by it. Like it was possessed or something. Yeah, it gives you, it takes you into the, the feel of like uh, the Star Wars, Star Wars Rebel Assault, the CD version, and then the, <laughs> the, Star, Wars, uh, the Star Wars Arcade for 3-2-X. It's like, you know, here is your mission. You, you really feel like you're, you're part of the Rebel feed. Although the Star Wars, the, Se- the Sega CD one is hard as shit. I, uh, <laughs> that, game, that game's hard on computer. I just remember getting that one as a kid and being like, "Dude, the, I can't even get past the first level easily." No, it's it's really the the getting past the the Tatooine level is impossible. You're in the the T sixteen. Yep. Not easy uh-huh. to blast Womp Rats in that. That's yeah, I know Luke Skywalker makes it out that it's easy, but it is not. <laughs> yeah, it, it it the Sega. I mean, the Sega CD. It's it's often it's it's regarded often as sort of this throwaway failure this stupid the, you know this this thing that that warned all systems like don't do an add-on don't do that this thing's a failure and yet it, it's got it has this library of you know over i think about 200 titles uh probably a, a bit more than that that worldwide that really it, it it holds up pretty well i i really i've spent a lot of time with my sega cd and it's it's really enjoyable no, I think that I think the Sega CD. I think especially in hindsight, it it is just a really impressive CD or a system. I just think that what kind of happened. I think really just the three hundred dollar price tag is one of the big ones. It was like just such a turn. If you if you could have made it somehow, some way, since it is an add on system, if it could have been like the same price as the Genesis, where it was like one hundred and fifty bucks. So for three hundred dollars, you got the complete package. That wouldn't have been probably too bad. But I think yeah. just, you know, and I, I know it's it's one of those systems, I think it just, it's failure is that it was a little too ahead of its time, you know, and it's just, at the end of the day, people just, the general public doesn't have that much money. The people who want the system and want all the cool bells and whistles, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really a small margin, no matter what, even this day and age, you know, it's still not the biggest margin out there, you yeah, know? Yeah, like the, the PlayStation VR is always kind of going to be a niche product. However cool it is for people, you're not going to have those masses who are going to run out and pay no. the three, $300 for that. But it, it, it is also, it's very important to note that as, as stupid as add-on systems look in hindsight now, 
people didn't really the whole concept of okay you get a system and in four years and four or five years you'll buy the next version of that it did that 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 whole concept didn't really exist i mean that book that we've both read the console wars the Mm -hmm. blake uh blake blake harris i think is the author um when they talk about how people would, when Super Nintendo came out, they would take their Nintendo in and they'd want to trade and get that. <laughs> that was the one like, where it's like, it's like the, that was the worst thing that some of those retailers had. They just had like a policy where you could just return anything, even if it wasn't complete, even if it was broken and destroyed and get your full money back. Like what? Who thought that was a good idea? Like LL Bean, you can take your, you know, ready jeans you've worn for twenty years and say, "I want a new one." They'll, they'll, they'll give it to you. And it, you, you look at that and you think to yourself, "How, how could anyone have done that?" But, but the real simple answer is, you know, technology, especially things like that, weren't seen as, you know, disposable. Like you didn't, you know, when your DVD player broke, you didn't go to Target and get another one for. 30 or 40 bucks yeah you, there was you know, v, there was vcr repair shops that's that's what there was back in the day yeah you you wanted to get as much mileage out of them as possible so the idea of you know getting the genesis and thinking to yourself okay this will last me a solid four or five years and then i'll get the new sega that didn't really exist so for a lot of people maybe less so for the cd than the the 32x was designed to basically be the solution for people who said i'm not ready to get rid of my genesis but I want I want I want something that's a little bit better than you can get something that's like a little you know a little booster rocket for it that'll give you a little bit more mileage. Yeah, exactly. And I think and it's kind of weird because it's like that used to always throw me off when you'd meet kids back in the day who like literally would like change they would literally trade in their old system to go get a new one. Like, what are you kidding? Like. Like, cause I've always been someone like I kept all my systems because I wanted to play all my old games. Why, why would I want to trade anything in? And like, I never have that problem where like, you know, some people are like, Oh, I really wish they would release this game for the new system. I'm like, well, I can always pull it out of my other one. That's not a big deal. Yep. But at that yeah. time period, it was that time where it's like the idea of like, you know, cause that was the thing that really got super Nintendo right off the bat. And that's almost like what helped Sega out a bunch was that people were kind of pissed that Nintendo didn't make an adapter so that they could play their regular Nintendo games on their Super Nintendo. I mean, to me, I just think you go, well, just you keep your regular Nintendo and you have your Super Nintendo. What are you, an idiot? Come on. <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, nowadays you buy an HDTV and it's got one. Eight, I mean, I'm sure some of them don't even have AV slots anymore, but my both uh, my TVs only have one AV slot. But back then, it's... you know, you yeah, back then you'd have like four of them. You can plug the Super Nintendo and then uh, the well, then 64 or your regular Nintendo in. Yeah, and you just you get the sw- or you get the big switch things because that's what I always had was like yeah. you could click 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 <laughs> and put gotta, whatever input you want in. Yeah, I've got to think to my. Um, I got in my on one of my TVs. I have I bought a four four prong AV switch and I to replace the three one, but I have five that'll go into that, and I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to experiment with it yet, but I'm gonna try and use the three one in one of the four the four switch slots for the av cable and we'll see how that goes yeah see th- those things are always essential to have <laughs> i know it c- kind of bums me out nowadays because tvs barely have any inputs anymore unless you get a really expensive tv yeah it's just but like come it, on it just... guys put some input like and especially uh c- component cables are hard to find on tvs which you need that for your ps2 xbox you know yep. gamecube era it um it it really it puts it puts the the mindset of Sega in perspective when it comes to the Sega CD and the 32X of 
okay, we have we have millions of fans who have a Genesis. We will put out a Saturn, but we're not sure if everybody's going to jump on board. And the Genesis sold really well into into the late 90s and and they put out uh i was even looking earlier uh virtua fighter was came out on the saturn and then they released a version virtua fighter 2 they released a version for genesis in 1997 and i'm looking i'm like that can't be right but it's weird because it's like a 2d version of virtual fighter it's actually kind of neat it still plays like virtual fighter but it kind of almost looks like street fighter it's kind of weird how it is yeah it 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 it's just the notion of because it also with uh it was something that Sony did with you know both when the PS3 came out and the PS4 came out they weren't just done making systems it wasn't like the Wii U where Nintendo said okay we have a switch we're pretty much done with this here's Breath of the Wild for all you Wii U fans you finally got your Zelda now by the way we're going this thing's never going to be yeah you know supported again but Sega had this problem of they were trying to debut a system that could compete with the the new era and everybody really loved the genesis because it's just you know it's one of those iconic systems and and that's where i think the the three two x you could kind of see i mean like it's easy to go in hindsight go yeah i I see why it failed because you know the saturn and playstation were coming out right around the corner but if you think about it this was something that like people were already kind of pissy about having to switch their system still by this point you know, I think all the kids were already converted into like the mindset of like we're gonna switch out every six years now. Like I think they were, but I think as adults, they were like, "What? I gotta go another system now? Jesus Christ! How many systems do you kids need?" You know, back in yeah. my day, you know, we we had one game and it lasted us until we got a job at the factory. Yeah, we, <laughs> had, we had we had pong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's one of those ones where um, you could see that like their I think is their whole idea was like, "Hey, we'll have this three two X that will hold over." All the Sega, you know, Genesis fans that don't, that aren't going to upgrade right off the bat, anyways, they can still get this system, you know, and let it work. And it just was just too much, like at once. I think that was the thing. I think it also came across sort of offensive too, because I think it was like, oh, it's almost like, oh, so it's the poor person console. Is that what you're saying? Saying we can't yeah. afford a Sega CD or a Sega Saturn? <laughs> so the the 32X for people who aren't that familiar is a add-on to the Genesis that goes into the top it's not like a sidecar you you plug the system in and then you put your it's a cartridge base not a cd although it requires its own cartridges but then you can put the genesis cartridges in and most of them work i'm very angry i got a copy of mutant league football which is a great game but for whatever reason it won't play on my genesis if the 32x is plugged in which is frustrating but it was released by it was the really the brainchild of sega of america while Sega of Japan was working on the Saturn and Sega, Sega, the the real tragedy of Sega is it was a company really plagued by infighting, but they 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 released the thirty the thirty two X essentially simultaneously with the Saturn. So you really do have people who are thinking to themselves, you know, who who are they trying to sell to with this other than like here's the you know barg- bargain bin next next generation which is kind of an oxymoron yeah and the ironic thing is it's like yeah it comes out and it's like a, what of it like a year and a half off from like the saturn at least in the u.s i mean it came out like the oh, same yeah, yeah. time it came out in america like the exact same time as it came out for the saturn came out in japan and um it, it is one of those kind of weird ones now like granted like i just love the 32x i've always been very 
I, I've always admired having. Now, granted, I bought it kind of later in life where I got it for like when you could buy them for like next to nothing. And, you know, you can grab all the games and so on. You know, they have they have kind of held their value in the sense that uh, they were initially released at one hundred and fifty dollars. And if you got eBay, I mean, they basically cost like eighty dollars. And you're lucky if you get the converter cable with the Genesis, which is a pain in the ass when I got mine. <laughs> I yeah. had to buy like four separate ones, but it, I, I, I personally, the, the 32X in terms of all my obscure retro consoles, despite having a library of only 40 games, six of which required the Sega CD as well, it's got this, gra- I, I call it, you know, it's not really, it's not, it's not HD retro, but it, it, it really feels that way. It feels like it took that era to as far as it can go with, it had, it, it has, a lot of really great games. It, it's one of the better, really tiny, minuscule libraries. It really does, because that, that's kind of how I feel. It's got some really sweet games. And I'm one of those kind of people that I only need, if a system has like 10 solid games, I feel like I already got my value out of it. I know some people, like, they need to have like a thousand games or else they don't feel like they got their value. And I'm like, no. Right. If, if I have 10 sweet games, I, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, that, that pays for itself, in a sense. And... The 32X always had just really cool games. Like, I love the Doom version on there. I know it doesn't have all the levels that the PC has and so on. But what I always liked about it back in the day is that Doom is, like, bright and vibrant. Like, where the other Doom you could barely see, this one, especially, like, we play Doom 64. It's like, talk about you can't see anything. What I liked (laughs) about the 32X one is, like, oh, I can see everything. It looks kind of like Wolfenstein 3D in in here. And I thought that was really cool. You get the Star Wars arcade that was a big deal at the time. The Virtual Fighter is actually a really good port, too. It's one of my favorite games to play. I, I love because it, it, it almost you feel like you're in the Matrix with the the way that they jump and it's sort of slow motion and you can do like you can do somersaults and it's great. Star Wars Arcade will always be my favorite because Admiral Akbar he speaks kind of with a with a Boston accent. Destroy <laughs> enemy fighters. <laughs> Which I don't think was a great Boston accent, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it it it's just it's so much fun and uh, I have this even this golf game for it that's that's fun. Wasn't and, that thirty six holes or whatever the heck is it called? Um, yeah, I forget the guy. The guy on the cover always reminds me of uh, Doug Doug Flutie. Speaking of Boston, talking <laughs> uh, my Boston college roots, but um, it it really it the three. You bring up a good point with the you know what's the magic number for games. For a system, because w- with the PlayStation Four, you can't even really buy ten games on the initial, uh, you know, the initial hard drive you get, or you fill the thing up. Basically, <laughs> I know. I, I already fill. I have a two uh, terabyte one that I installed in there back in the old days when you couldn't plug in an external one yet, and that thing I already maxed out like a while ago too. So it's kind of like a always a problem there. I think with the other thing of the three two X though. I think if they would have just included Virtual Fighter like with the system for 150 bucks, I bet you that would have made a bigger difference in its sales because that was the game though. Because when that game came out of the arcades in America, like when you first saw Virtual Fighter, that was a mind blowing experience. Like to me, like seeing that was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. This is so radically amazing. So I think if you could have sold that there, because I'll say this, like in 1994, if you would have had just just Virtual Fighter by itself would have been worth 150 bucks. It sounds weird, but to have that arcade experience at home, I think someone would have been like, "Dude, I'm kind of good." Anything else is bonus from this point on. Yeah, it's really it. it it's one of my all-time favorite. It's it's probably my all-time favorite fighter that isn't on the Neo Geo because yeah. it, it's just it's it's so the 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 graphics. There's just nothing like it, really. And there, I mean. 
they ported uh they ported it to Saturn or the Virtual Fighter 2, but if you look at it that that the Genesis, the Super Nintendo era to to bookend the whole and and that era is really one of the just greats for 2D fighters to have to have that one be like one of the sort of the final impressions on it was really it, it was a triumph of the 32x and it's a shame they really should have they either should have packaged that or or something virtual racing just something to say here's what this thing can do we promise we'll support it even though a year later we're actually going to go back on that we're going to release 40 games for it but it 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 really does make you think about what constitutes a failure in a video game system because it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's one of those ones too. It's like I always three two X. I always look at it and I go, I, it'd be interesting to see what the possibilities could have been of that system. I always try to think. Oh, I yeah. think of games that come out for like PlayStation and Sega Saturn, like right off the bat, all those games from like nineteen ninety five, and I kind of go, how many of these could have probably been ported to the thirty two X? You know, and I think of something like this is one that always crosses my mind. I think of like Resident Evil One. Could Resident Evil One run on the three two X with like maybe even the CD support version? So it's a three two X CD game because you you put all the videos and you put all your soundtrack and so on on the CD part of it, and then you have the game run on the three two X. I bet you it could still pull it off. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be the best version. Obviously, probably the PlayStation Saturn versions would be the, still the one to have. But it'd be interesting. I bet you there's a lot more games that could have ran on the 32X that would have been pretty powerful that you don't think about because it just never had the chance to really happen. Because really, the best games came at the very beginning. You know what I mean? And those, yep. you th- think about most systems. You know, you, you compare like the starting game when it, you know the launch game to like the game that comes out the very end. Like I'll use like PlayStation Three for example. Look at Resistance One compared to like The Last of Us. You know that's. Yeah. Beginning of the system, end of the system. And you can see like a humongous jump as it goes on. So I bet you the 32X could have the, some of these games that, you know, came out in the early days of the PlayStation and Saturn and even like 3DO type games and so on. I bet you could have ran on there. As I said, maybe not. It would have been kind of like yeah. a, it would have been like a switch port of like a PS4 game. You know, it definitely would have been like converted a little bit down, but I bet you it could have still worked. Yeah, you think about because the 3DO is a couple of years older than the 32X, and it runs alone in the dark very well. It it runs a lot of it. It almost feels like a system that's a uh, like the really kind of modeled off the PC in the way that a lot of it's point and click. You have a controller, but a lot of ways you're sort of sitting there thinking, "Gee, it'd be a lot easier if I had a mouse." And um, yeah, it would have been really cool to see if they. If if Sega hadn't said to themselves, you know, because they 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 with, with by releasing the 32x and the Saturn so close to each other, they committed to this dual track and then instantly abandoned it. Which well, not instantly, but very soon after. And you got to sit there, think to yourself, you know, why didn't if you guys had just supported this thing, it could have done something. And it only it sold about five hundred thousand or six hundred thousand units, which isn't that much to any system that's not called the Atari Jaguar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With its uh, 100 buttons on the controller. But, I mean, it, there, there, there were enough... You, you, had, you had, you know, tens of millions of Genesis systems out there. A lot of people who, who probably object to the Saturn just on the very grounds of, I don't want another game system cluttering my TV stand. And those people could have been converted into... 30, the 32X ran well enough 
that it could have been something that brought Genesis fans on board and they could just say, you know, I'm fine with this. Like I meet, I meet a lot of people who, you know, when they, they hear I'm into video games, they say, Oh, I really love playing video games on my iPhone. And you think to themselves, okay, like a switch, isn't that much money, especially compared to an iPhone. But this <laughs> yeah. person's happy. Yeah. You, you can happy. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say for the price of one iPhone, you could own like three switches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and the simple answer to that is they're happy with what they have. So, you know, the Genesis really, I mean, the, the Sega really missed the ball on, you know, figuring out a way to, cause it, it's a great idea to extend an old system's life. Cause you already, you have, you have millions of people. I mean, assuming a system does well, you have millions of fans already. And a lot of them aren't just aren't, they're not going to make the jump immediately or they'll wait for the price drop or they'll just wait for a time in their life. And you don't see a lot of companies, I mean, for the first couple of years of, uh, you know, uh, for PlayStation or Xbox, the, you know, first year or two, they'll still support the old one. But then after that, it's like you're on your own. And there are, there are, it's, I mean, there's probably a ton of games on the Saturn that could have been easily ported to the 32X, and they didn't give a shit about doing that. Yeah, because I felt like it, with their idea in mind that these two systems were going to kind of run simultaneously next to each other. I think there would have been some games that kind of came out on both. I mean, granted, probably the Saturn would have been the better version. The Saturn would have been almost like having the PC version, I guess. And then the 30X would be like having the console version. Uh-huh. That's probably how it would have sort of felt kind of. But uh, I and it's funny because you look at it now. It's like I, Sega just I think sometimes they were just too ahead of the curve too many times because look at where we're at now everybody's sort of doing a 3-2-X type CD thing. I mean, granted, they're not different systems, but, you know, you got a PS4 Pro, you got the Xbox Elite, you got, three, like, the new 3DS, you know, and that one you have to buy a completely new console. You don't just upgrade your console. You literally had to buy a completely new system just to get that update feature. And now look at with the Switch. We got two new ones coming out. Maybe at the end of this year we're going to have kind of a cheaper model and then a Pro model. So is is that really too much different than the CD and the three two X? Now, granted, yeah, no, it's yeah. You're not buying it's, new games, I guess. It's not like you're gonna get like. I mean, well, I guess with the three DS, there's certain games that you had to have the Pro three DS or it wouldn't work right. Right, and yeah, it it it's it's a fascinating question because there's always gonna be that that niche of your audience that says, you know, okay, well, I bought this at launch. Look where my loyalty got me. And at least with the 32X, they're trying to say, hey, Genesis fans, we're going to do something new with the Saturn, but we're not forgetting about you. And we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep putting out new games. Because, you know, you, you've got all those fans who maybe don't have $400 to buy a Saturn, but they have 50 or 60 bucks to buy a new 32X game. Yeah. They, just, they really didn't capitalize on that. No, and it's, it's one of those ones, like, I mean, it's also... It's the time period to where Sega really overloaded themselves too, because I got this I got this lovely catalog that's a Sears one from 1995 Christmas, and I've saved it my entire life because it's just that magical. I've literally even like laminated it myself with tape just so it wouldn't fall apart on me. But it, it, it's brilliant because it's the total big bang of all the console era. It's like you could not have asked for a better year to have one of these. And Sega probably has more systems than everybody else combined. That's how many systems it does. Yeah. Because not only do you have you got the Sega Genesis in there, you got the 32X in there, you got the CD still in there, you have the Saturn in there, you have the Sega 
Pico in there. You have the Game oh, Gear yeah. in there. Pico. So you're overloaded with so many Sega, you know, systems. That's like ridiculous. Because then it's like, okay, then your choices for Nintendo are actually kind of slim. You have Super Nintendo and Game Boy. That's it. That's all Nintendo has. Oh, right. Virtual Boy, Virtual Virtual Boy too. You had that for that momentary time period. <laughs> So that's all they have. And then you got your 3DOs in that catalog as well. You got your Atari Jaguar. And then... Um, Philips CDI. Oh, that was probably dead at that point. In, actually, no, I take that back. I think the Philips CDI is still in there at that catalog time period. And then along with your Microsoft Windows 95 and so on. <laughs> so there's quite a yeah. bit going on. But it's just like, I think I, think I always feel like that was kind of the downfall of Sega is they almost overwhelm people at that time period. Like, And not... It, as a standalone product, I don't think any of them are actually bad. I think just when you have so many out at the same time, it's almost like instead of having the 3-2-X, if they would have maybe put more effort into their Sega CD games, maybe that would have been more the thing to do at that time period. You know, the Pico, though, I know what they're trying to do with that, just having this cool kids-only kind of tablet thing. That one, I almost feel like you probably should have just scrapped that idea and just saved all those resources and put them yeah. back back into the Genesis, back into there, and just wait for your Saturn. The Saturn should have just been the next big thing to have. Right, because, um, I mean, even Super Nintendo, uh, Mario is missing. That's basically an education game. Uh, the Pico... The Pico is a hard thing to describe. It's like it's 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 like it's like a kind of a like cross between a Sega system and then like an iPad. You got a pen mm-hmm. um, from like uh, '90s technology. One of my cousins had one, and I just kept looking at it. They they had a game for the Richard Scarry, the cartoon, uh-huh. the, the the world of Richard Scarry, um, and it was a, it was a cool thing. But if you think about how Sega hit the scene as the cool system, you know, one one kind of element of cool that will always linger, regardless of whatever whatever you're talking about, is exclusivity. You know, we have Sonic, we have bloody Mortal Kombat, we have these things that other people don't. N- Sega does what Nintendo don't. You know, if you have a Nintendo, you're missing out. And then that 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 whole mo contrasts with the idea of. You know, here's our, you know, eight systems, you know, regardless of which one you have, you can, you know, be involved. You know, you've, you've got to, you've, you've, you've got to present something that, that people feel like if they don't get it, they'll be upset. They'll, they'll have missed something. Yeah. And I think it's just that overwhelming thing that like, you know, you can only manage so many ships at once. It's just that kind of thing. It's like, cause in a sense, yeah. that's what Nintendo did kind of smart. It's like, they really, you know, let, let's just minus the Game Boy off. Cause that's kind of a different section. Nintendo's only focusing really on the SNES, you know what I mean? That's all they have to focus on. Where Sega, you also forget this too, then Sega's also the other big focus is arcade. You got that whole ginormous yeah. element there too. So the Sega's almost spread themselves so thin instead of just going, you know what, we're going to make our, in a sense, Genesis. I, I think the CD was the one, if there was one to stick with, the CD could have just been their upgraded Genesis part. Because I feel that kind of, when you add the CD element to the Genesis, that sort of equals the playing field between the SNES and the Genesis for the most part, you know what I mean? It kind of makes the games like, okay, yeah. now you can have some games that can actually be better than the SNES and so on without having to have too much more and just ride that Sega CD wave right smack into like the Saturn instead of, cause the thing is they kind of jumped ship kind of early on the Sega CD and there were still games that came out. Cause you know, like Lunar two came out like in 95 and so on, you know, and still like, you know, good, decent games. But if they would have put more effort, I think, in that Sega CD and not focus on the the excess stuff until the Saturn came out, maybe that would have been kind of the way to go. 
Or my other idea always felt like if the 32X, well, if the 32X, instead you didn't have the Saturn, but you made the 32X like just that much more powerful. But it was one of those ones where it's like, okay, so you're literally getting something as powerful as a Sega Saturn, but you're going to get it where you just plug it straight into your Sega Genesis. So you're not technically buying a full on new console. And then I always just kind of imagined like, what if like that Sega Saturn controller came with the 32X and that plugged just right into your Sega port? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not that different, the controllers. No, I mean, you're just really adding on L and R at the end of the day. That's the only thing really different you're adding. Right. Yeah, because the, the Saturn the the Saturn analog controller didn't come out until later. And, I mean, it, it's the preferable for, you know, Tomb Raider or Croc, but not not a ton. They, there aren't a ton of games that need it. Yeah, like it came with, like, I mean, Knights was the one that I always remember with the Sega Saturn. It's like, oh, you got to have the, the big old swivel controller. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really it's fascinating that that Sega, they, they, they spread themselves so thin. And in the process, oh, it, it's funny that they, they did that. And, you know, the whole reason that Sony came onto the scene was that Nintendo wanted their own Sega CD. Mm-hmm. So they kept trying to outsource it. And they tried with Philips. And that's why Philips got all those horrendous Nintendo licenses. <laughs> and they, they butchered Zelda and Mario. But then Sony says, you know, screw it, we'll do it ourselves. And all of a sudden, you know, Nintendo, I mean, uh, Nintendo and Sega, it's not really the console wars of Mario versus Sonic, but now we've got this, you know, giant Leviathan. You know, Sega's got six systems, but you can't really combine them all and get an experience that's matching what, what Sony's doing. Yeah, it's kind of that sad thing is that Sony comes out with one singular system that is kind of able to kind of do do it all almost at the end of the day. And it's funny, though, because like in the I remember, though, back in like the 90s, though, if you're a kid in school, like the Sony wasn't really the most popular system. I mean, they talk about that in hindsight. Yes. And I know in the long run, that system stands out like ginormous. Yeah. But at the time period, it was like. Everybody I knew, they if you had if you had a Sony, you just wished you had a Saturn. It was like the only reason you didn't get the Saturn is that you know it was that extra hundred bucks that probably prevented people from it. Once again, I feel like if Sega Saturn probably was two ninety nine along with Sony, it could have been a little bit different story. I think in the in the long run, I think that would have made a huge difference because at the end of the day, I think especially parents too, they walk into a KB Toys, you know, circa, circa 1995, they walk in there in 96 and they go, uh, that one's a hundred dollars cheaper. So pretty much for the hundred dollars I save, I can buy two games for that PlayStation. Oh, yeah, give me that one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's hard to think about the, you know, a uh, little, you know, a 10 year old trying to explain the technical differences of why they would want a Sega over a PlayStation when the parent looks and says, Oh, this one's cheaper. I'll it's a, you know, it's like brand name cereal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah parents are like, you're not, you're not getting that brand name cereal here. Take the honeyos. We just as good. Take, <laughs> take the one that doesn't, have, you know, have the cartoon on the box. Yeah. <laughs> or it, it comes uh, in a bag. Doesn't even come in a box. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that Spencer and I had so much fun recording that we had to split the episode up into two parts. So this will be the end of episode one. Episode two will launch at the same time, so all you need to do is click play or download the next episode. This will be it for episode three of Estradial Illusions. Play the theme song in case you want to listen to it before you click play on part two, because we know everyone is going to listen to both of those in one sitting. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you for part two. (laughs) 